Hello, everybody. This is Ray Renati. And once again, you have reached Green Room on Air, the number one podcast in Cork, Ireland. Can you believe that? Man, am I special. <laughs> hey, today we have a special guest. His name is Paul Mahoney. O'Mahoney, excuse me, Paul O'Mahoney from Cork, Ireland. He's a poet. He's a wonderful poet. He writes poetry. He recites poetry live on the internet. Uh, he did that for years live on uh, Twitter or the Twitter, uh, what, what, what was their thing called? Oh, Periscope. Yes, on Periscope, although now Periscope is gone, so I'm not sure how he's doing it, but I'm sure he'll continue. He had a show on Periscope uh, where he would read Walt Whitman poetry, talk about the history of Walt Whitman, the great, the great American poet. He's a foodie. He loves to connect with people. He's very much into audio. I've known him for years. He, he produces great pieces of audio. Used to be on Anchor, now on a, an app called Lemur. He's active on Clubhouse. He's just an all-around great guy, and he's an excellent public speaker. He's uh, very much involved in Toastmasters and is one of their top people, top people in Cork, Ireland. And he's a dad, and he has a dog, and he's cool. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking to him today. I'm going to go skiing this weekend. I'm going skiing this weekend for the first time in six years. We'll see how it goes. I, uh, I had some problems a few years ago skiing because I had recently had surgery. Well, about two years before that. And I tried to ski and I couldn't even turn anymore. This is having uh, been a person who's skied for decades. I could ski anything. And then I couldn't even ski down an intermediate run anymore. And I gave up. But I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again this weekend. I'm feeling strong. I've been getting acupuncture. I'm feeling pretty good. I think it might work out for me. I really do. Either way, I'm just so glad to be getting out of this house and into the sunshine, into the mountains and the trees and the Sierras and smelling the fresh air and watching the birdies fly and, and the deer gallop and the zebra run swiftly by. Zebra in California? Who knew? Who knew? Not me. What else is happening? Well, we got all kinds of the uh, shenanigans going on in politics, but you know what? I don't watch the news anymore. Boy, you should try that. Stop watching the news. Just don't care about anything going on in the world. You'll be much happier. Just deal with your own life. That's enough, ain't it? Ain't it? Ain't it enough, baby? Ain't it enough, baby? Just made that song up for you today. Can't wait to get out there. In a little while, I'm going to go ride my bike. Then I'm going to pack. And then tomorrow morning, we're leaving for a couple days. That's right. So what are you up to? Let me know. Give me an email at greenroomonair at gmail.com that's greenroomonair at gmail.com hey by the way there's a website for this podcast it's called 
greenroomonair.com. Isn't that amazing? greenroomonair.com. You can also listen to this podcast on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, including Stitcher, Spreaker, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Oh my God, I could go on. I could go on. We're everywhere. iHeartRadio. We're world-renowned here at Green Room On Air. My staff is happy. Happy-go-lucky, as am I. Um, hey, if you like this podcast, tell your friends. And please go leave me a, a, a five-star rating on, um, on Apple Podcasts. Or a different rating if you feel I deserve one. And even leave a review. And if you can't do it on Apple Podcasts, do it somewhere else. Anywhere is good for me. Because that makes me a happy camper. And if I'm a happy camper, you're a happy camper. Right? I, I've been watching this uh, show, I guess it's a couple of years old now, Sex Education, with starring uh, Gillian Anderson of X-Files fame. It's kind of funny, but... I think I'm going to stop watching it. Enough of the sex education. It's just sex, sex, sex. Teenage sex. High school sex. Okay, I get it. And and they have all these high school... Uh, well, so it's supposed to be high school, but they have all these mid-20-year-old people playing high school students, and whenever I see that, okay, I, I just can't take much of it because none of them can ever act like kids, really. They're all too old. But nice effort. I think I'll switch to The Crown to get my Gillian Anderson fix or watch repeats of The X-Files or The Fall. If you haven't seen The Fall, check that out. What a dark crime drama that is. Yowzer. Love it. Anyway, that's enough for today, folks. So we're going to go right to my friend, Paul O'Mahony. And he is something else. He's a great guy. I think you'll like him. He's funny, witty, and uh, an all-around... An all-around good man. Okay, without further ado, Paul O'Mahony. Hey, Paul. You're right. Well, we've been talking already, but let's pretend like we haven't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Hello, Ray. Hello. Great. So, uh, how you, you, you were doing uh, some Toastmasters just before uh, we got on here? Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of Toastmasters International, but I'm a I member have. of it. Oh, right. Well, yeah, I you're quite. So what were you doing today? Well, if I go backwards from the last few minutes, about in the sometime in the last hour and a half, I made what's called a test speech. That's a speech you make five to seven minutes long, and then contestants evaluate it. They come on and tell the speaker, what they've done well, and they give the speaker a couple of recommendations about what they could work on next time. And they do this in a three minute, uh, they have three minutes to do it. And they are scored by judges across a number of uh, measures, including how positive and encouraging they are, how analytic they are about the, the speech, 
what else? Let me think. Analysis, the, the vocal variety, and then the, uh, the, the quality of the recommendations. And, the, and then a summary at the end. So all of these things are, you get 100 points, uh, and they're broken down into different categories. And so I was the person. So I got four evaluations for my speech this evening, Ray. Wonderful. So you were the one being evaluated, and how, how did those go? Oh, they were... Oh, how did they go? They all told me I was phenomenal. Brilliant. Of course. Best speech they'd ever heard in their entire life. It blew, yeah. blew Steve Jobs out of the water and all those things. No, they were, they were very sweet. They were very positive. The biggest um, recommendation I'm going to take away is that one of them said to me that I was talking about Walter Hagen um, very briefly now. You didn't need to know much about Walter Hagen other than he was probably the world's greatest golfer at the time in the 1930s. But she said that it would have been helpful if I'd said a little bit about Walter Hagen in terms of he won the US Open seven times, he won this, that, he did that. And he was playing a match against John Burke, who was the greatest golfer in Ireland at that time. They played a four ball against each other. And he, she suggested that I should have said something about John Burke. And I thought, that's very useful because I, somebody was telling me, Paul, I don't know anything about golf, but you said that this guy was the best in the world. Well, give a bit of evidence to suggest that I should believe you rather than it just being subjective. I see. So, that was a really valuable thing for me as a speaker. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. Yeah, because uh, you have to be, have someone to compare him to, a contemporary, as it were, right? Is that, is that what she was uh, going after? Well, I think she did what a sense I made of it really was that if you're speaking, the value in it was that if you're speaking, you really ought to remember that a good chunk of your audience might be saying to themselves, who's this guy and what, why should I believe a single word he's saying? You know, he says this is the greatest theatrical performance that's ever appeared on Broadway in the last 20 years. I mean, who is he to know that? How many has he been to? Um, you know, is he saying, well, here's some evidence. It's made more money than any other one. It's got more rave reviews than anybody else. It's the only one that got a five-star review in the New York Times in the last 15 years or something like that. But if yeah. you don't have any evidence or anything to back up what you're saying, then why should the reader or the listener pay any attention to you? Yes, yes. Well, I think that that's a, a big issue these days because a lot of people get on the media and they make these bold claims. And uh, politicians do it quite a bit more than I can ever remember now. And, uh, you know, a lot of people just seem to automatically believe whatever they say. Well, people, kind of blows my mind. people used, I think, to believe more frequently in the past. If you go right back yeah. in time... In, certainly, I'm talking from Ireland now, so I, mm -hmm. but I assume it's the same in other places. I'm coming in from Cork, Ireland. So people used to believe what they read in the newspapers at one time. People used to believe the, the minister 
the Roman Catholic priest, or for that matter, Church of Ireland priest, they used to believe the politicians. And there was a sense in which people didn't feel that they had the authority to have their own view on anything. So they weren't, they didn't authorize themselves to ha even have an opinion. Yeah. So that, that has been a huge sociological, probably based on around education, I think, more than anything else. A, a massive societal change in which we go right from that stage where nobody except the village elder was entitled to announce the truth. Right to the point today where everybody has their own media empire. I, I own a TV studio, I own a recording studio, I own four newspapers, I own a <laughs> myself. Yeah, I, I heard about that. All my radio station podcasts. You want to know how many podcasts I have, Ray? How many? They're all my radio stations. I have four. Um, now, the key thing about this is I'm clearly a, a radio mogul. And how many, how many TV stations do I have? Well, I have one that is up there on YouTube. I have another one on Instagram. I do live streaming on uh, Twitter. Um, so I've got at least three television stations and I could carry on. I, I also am a, I have my own publishing house. I have my own blog. So I am a, clearly a, a global force. You're an influencer. Yeah. Well, I have a huge influence on myself, Ray. I really have influenced myself. <laughs> That's really, I'm glad you noticed that. But I, oh, I have. Been. The, the yeah. thing is, we're, this is the thing, the crazy thing. How many, how recent is that? Very, very recent. Well, it started off with blogs, I guess, right? And then, uh, then what? Then, then social media posts, and then, the, and then the podcasting stuff. That's, I think that's the order. Well, I know I started blogging in 2005, and I was not, you know, there were plenty of people who were blogging back in the 19, late 1990s. So there were also, there was also a beginning of podcasting in the, early 2000s but even if we even if we said it all began in 1990 and we know pretty sure didn't begin much before that we're barely a generation practically you know 30 years it's only 30 years since anyone you know could own their own media it, yeah all they had to do was to read the newspaper Ireland is a huge newspaper reading society. Huge. Mm -hmm. but still the actual paper or online? Oh, paper. Real paper. And still to this day, I would say that there's probably much more reading of newspapers, daily newspapers. In uh, Now, I, we buy, well, we get newspapers on the weekend. My brother, one of my brothers, I'm just thinking of one of them for certain, gets the Irish Times every single day, Monday to Saturday, would never have missed an issue in donkey's years. So, <laughs> but here we are, we, we, I'm not sure how we got onto this, except that we do live in a world in which, look at you and I here, this is our own 
well, your radio station, I mean, Green yes. Room on it is, yeah. you know, absolutely one of the key stations for people in Ireland. And Big time. Oh, huge, I yeah. tell you. It's a in Cork, it especially. Well, it was called Green Room, and, you know, I that clearly was pitched at the Irish diaspora. And yeah, leprechauns and such. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Am I being a terrible guest? <laughs> no, this is great, because, um, so, like, they've already heard about you, Paul. Like, I... I uh, I'll be. I do an intro before, so it's not like you're a mystery. So I'll I'll have uh, explained that there might be a bit of the Blarney. Oh, that's good. Coming. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And you are a poet. Mm. You write poetry. Some wonderful poetry. Would, would you Would you bless us in reading some of your poetry? Oh, of course, I would. Of course I would. We would love that here on the green room. I would of course like to, of course I could be prepared a little more than I am, says he desperately looking for where he put. Um, excuse me one second. While I oh, no problem. My, I'll just uh, sing a song or something. My book. I did it my way. Well, this is weird, Paul. I put my book... Where did I put it? Well, this will be time for a commercial break. Hello, folks. This show is brought to you by Mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, your favorite condiment. Drop by your favorite grocery store today and buy some mayonnaise. Ah. And get a little mustard while you're at it. Mayonnaise. Mayo Nate. This this episode of Green Room on Air is also brought to you by Lufa. Lufa pads. Lufa pads. Which will get rid of your stretch marks in mere seconds. Lufa pads. Pick them up at your neighborhood Walgreens, CVS, or your local pharmacy. Lufa pads. Luva Pads! And this episode is also brought to you by Toast. Toast, your favorite breakfast food. Toast, have it with butter and jam and coffee or tea or postum. Whatever you like. Hot chocolate, post toast, post toast, toast. Hey, Paul, you're back. We yes, just did our uh, commercials. <clears throat> Do you know that I clearly must be nervous here, Ray? I must be. Why? Because if only I had said, yes, of course, I can just call up my blog, which has uh, a whole lot of my poetry. Instead, I went looking for the, the only book which I have, the only hard, the only book I have in print, which is called Irish Epic Poem in 33 Cantos. Irish epic poem in 33 cantos. And uh, I went scurrying around looking for it. There is one somewhere in the room around me because I was reading it at a, did a poetry reading last night. What, you wrote this? You wrote this book of poetry? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. This is, uh, this is also available in the Kindle store. It's 142 pages long. It's a, it's a one poem. It's an epic poem. It's, okay. uh, 
a guy called Dante wrote, um, wrote oh. a, uh, <laughs> the Inferno in, uh, in 34 cantos, and it would have been disrespectful to have written as many cantos as Dante. So that's why it's Irish epic poem in 33 cantos. Well, I've known you for quite a while. I didn't even know that you published this volume. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's available in the Kindle store, as I say. You just uh, Google it and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, oh, it's bringing in massive amounts of money. How do you think I managed to live, Ray? Did you never yeah. realize that the royalties are phenomenal? Oh, I'm sure they are. You're known far and wide for your wealth from the sale of your poems and other works of writing mastery. Yeah, there's probably about one poet in the entire world who can live off their poetry. Of course, lots of them manage to um, get, get uh, posts in universities and places like that. Did I you hear the young woman who, who, who did, uh, who recited her poem at the inauguration of the president? Um, that is a, was a stunning poem. That was oh, a magnificent uh, tour de force. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. I, I have listened to that and watched it uh, many, many times. And the story behind how she got the invitation to do it is also remarkable. It makes she, it even more remarkable when you are aware of oh, that. Yeah, it's, um, but, you know, and I, I went, oh, I have a 15 year old daughter and, you know, we went over that poem together and it's just a wonderful story as well as, you know, it's a campaign, it's a call to action, it's, a, it's, it's written for a specific purpose on a specific day. Although apparently a good chunk of it was written well before, and it was only finished in the last few days before the inauguration. But certainly from being a, what was she? A, she's a junior poet laureate in the United States, but fantastic example to people of how poetry is really relevant and how it, how it stirs people. And uh, so I'm, I'm not in that league, Ray. I'm, I'd be just a few levels below, you know. So there'd be about, let's say now, there'd probably be about 100,000 at the level below her, and I'd be in the group that is a million below that. So, <laughs> I don't well think so, Paul. I'd be well let us be the judge. Read us something. Let us be the judge. Okay, look, I'm going to read well, we, we you. We won't judge, though. No let judge. Me, no judgment. I'll tell you what, I'll read you the beginning of Irish epic poem in 33 cantos. So this is right. how it starts. Canto one. I am the elephant, your guide and joy, the one who leads you on through the maze you knows to come. It falls to me to mark the time this journey sparked, this travelogue began. Four vast and thunderous legs, a tail to brush the flies away. A trunk so solid, you'll often feel I've walked this jungle, stride this land in another dream, in another light. I am the one allocated to yourself, a sound you'll hear whispering 
Come here. Go there. Close these eyes a little tighter. You wouldn't want to spoil the thrill of unbeckoning insight. In short, dear reader, in the style of the ancients, welcome to the party. Let's enter. The page winced as the pen slid in. Paper registered the slightest tremor. Undergrounds the route to airport. Sunday morning on Piccadilly Line, a pair of skateboards, swilling fosters, two black ladies loud with hair, then skirts, the pink remains of Halloween party. The eight others in this carriage have 12 eyes shut. It's wonderful. Really wonderful, seriously. Gosh. I love it. Well, that's the beginning of a... Um, uh, in this poem is my whole life story, you could say. The other thing is that it's also a thriller. Will it be possible to find one honest person in Ireland? Is there one honest person to be found in Ireland? And the, 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 the search is for that person. Now, there's a lot of bad language in it. There's a lot of vicious attack on the Roman Catholic Church, on the political establishment, on the civil service, and the bankers. This was written in November 2009. The whole thing was written in one month. And it, it's also a diary of what happened in Ireland during that month. Can I just read you a tiny bit more of it, Ray? Please, please do. Yes. This is from Canto 21. It's a bit fierce. So do you, on this podcast, issue kind of warnings to some people? Yeah, if there's any language, I just mark it explicit. Right. Well, I don't think it's too explicit, but let's see anyway. Let's see. On okay. a mountain Kerry, on a mountain in Kerry sits a woman driven only by money. She'll not move her arse unless you pay her for the privilege. Outside Cahersavine, visible on a clear day, from the beehive hut on Skellig, Michael, she counts the stones, in case the birds have swooped. She lives on the juice of fuchsia, sleeps on mombrisha stalks, rests only on lamb's wool she shorn herself. Her favourite drink is distilled from bull's blood, mixed curds and whey. She's an icon, too fierce for Lisdun Varna. Every day she surfs McCarthy home in her dreams. Maybe she's the one to consult. I, I pause there. Maybe she's the one to consult. This is remembering now the search for the one honest person in Ireland. Okay. So maybe the woman is the one to consult. It's said she tells the story of the god that sifted earth through a strainer and threw the skelligs into the Atlantic off the kingdom's coast. A third cousin twice removed to Hydra, a Peloponnesian beauty. It's said she was once impregnated by a ram from Delphi. She's holding a key stolen from the oracle in the park, the Longfellow. My best friend Homer Simpson brought his family to visit her. 
She blamed him for the fall of Troy, the death of Paris, the kidnap of Helen, and the failure of Odysseus to get back in time to spare his wife from disgrace. I'll stop. Homer Simpson? Homer Simpson, yes. Yes, yes that's right. His best friend, oh. Homer Simpson, his family visitor. Nice. Nice. I could picture her in my mind. So where else that, would I picture her? <clears throat> yeah. That's one, um, one uh, example. You did ask if I'd read a little bit of my own. Um, you know, every poet, as far as I can tell, everyone I've met is willing to read their poetry, um, or at least give it to you to read, or at least hope you'll buy it, or at least hope you'll find it after they've passed away. Oh, some, oh. Some keep their poetry in their loft. <laughs> Pass sure it down. I'm sure you're familiar with that astonishing American poet who left masses of poetry in her loft. Yes. What Would you like to read one of hers? 280 poems written in, in uh, 1858, 312 in 320, 332, 290. There are about six consecutive years in which she wrote that many. Yes, of course, I would love to read Emily Dickinson. Let me let me look for my. The competition is I have poetry in two rooms, and the uh, big. That's okay. I'll I, do. Uh, I'll do another one of my commercials. Yes, do that. So I can bring in some money. This episode of Green Room on Air is brought to you by Fake News. Fake News, where you can be entertained and brainwashed daily. Fake News, your prescription for mental health. Fake News. Yeah, so um, while Paul is away looking for some Emily Dickinson poetry. Oh, he's back. Yes, I'm back my because I've discovered that it's possible to find digital versions of Emily Dickinson. What I have yes. is a habit. I um, <laughs> the crazy thing is that I have a habit um, of when I read a poem, I put the date that I read it on in the book and i also ah. some uh, poems that i really like i give three ticks to oh in and your book you do that I think I are good. yeah poems i think are pretty good i give two ticks to okay okay poems i think are good i give one tick to I see. And I use highlighting pens to highlight uh, bits of poems that I like. So if uh -huh. I could find Emily Dickinson, which would just take me a while, and I'm not going to do it now while we have, while we're chatting to each other, but the book would be full of uh, notes because I began reading Emily Dickinson in 1995. And she was one of my, until uh, Walt Whitman knocked her out of the park, I'd have to say that I would have said she was my, easily my favorite American poet. But then Walt Whitman came into my life and blew everybody away. 
Now you had a, a, a very well uh, liked station, and I think you still do on Periscope, which is part of Twitter, right? Uh, in which you yeah. read Walt Whitman poems. Are you still doing that? Well, terribly slowly now. I set out to read the whole of Leaves of Grass. In case anybody knows about Leaves of Grass, it was the deathbed edition, the 1892 edition. But I set out to read the whole of it live streamed in my kitchen for the most part um, from Ireland um, on on Periscope. And at one stage, I I certainly did it every practically every day for a year. And many, many more times as well. So I'm about three quarters way through live streaming Leaves of Grass. There's still a quarter left to go. Um, but at the time, because I was doing it every day at the same time, and because it, it was found, if you like, some wonderful, wonderful people came to participate in it every evening. And... A few things grew up around it, including the fact that I like drinking gin. So one evening, one evening, I love this bit of story. One evening, I suddenly got an impulse that I wanted to drink a bit of gin while I was reading Whitman. So I got a, an egg cup and a bottle of gin and I poured gin into the egg cup and I started to sip it. No big deal. I, I And then suddenly somebody said something and I realized they didn't know what an egg cup was. People in California that were live at the time, they didn't know what an egg cup was and they, they, they didn't have any in their house. And then somebody, some other people, all from the United States, said they didn't have egg cups. Now, there isn't a house in Ireland that doesn't have egg cups. You know, it, it's impossible to have an Irish house which doesn't have egg cups. So drinking gin from egg cups became a, a feature alongside reading Walt Whitman. So your hook. is um, yeah, a big so, thing. Paul, how did, how did you become a poet? Oh, yes. I became a poet by writing a poem. And uh, the poem I started to write is is a poem which I'm going to read you now because it's not a long poem. And how long is it since International Women's Day? Monday? Not very long, right? So it's... Right. Three days ago? Women. Yeah, it, it was very, very recently anyway. So I'm going to uh, read you my poem, which is called I Love Women. And... I'm going to find it here very quickly, okay. uh, if I can. And it, this is the very first poem I, I ever wrote. So it's... What year was this? It, th this poem was written in 1990... Just a second, let me think. 1995. This poem was written in 95. And um, I'm... Oh, Ray, I wish I'd prepared myself for this, but let, let me just uh, find That's it. That's all right. We, I can fit in another one of my commercials. Can, right? no, just let me. This is. Uh, <laughs> no. Here I am, and I'm looking for it. You'll have to cut all this bit out, but let me. Oh, well, these are the best parts, actually. This is just to prove that 
I'm I'm really and truly nervous because um, I'm nervous. so be I'm so thrilled you see to be on this with you um, well, that I I'm cack-handed um, as we would say um, uh, Paul Omani um, this is I'm now going into just going to Google to, to, to find it because it would probably be um, you're Googling maybe, your own poems yeah wow. because that, the, um, that's probably the, it's absolutely terrible, you know, when you go through your own stuff and you say, the only place I can find it is by uh, Googling it. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, even though I have it. Um, Let's see. But the, 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 the crazy thing is that, oh, Ah, here, stop. I got to pay attention, Ray, to what I'm doing. Okay, so give right. me a minute. Yeah, okay, all give right. This, this is preposterous. Yeah, here we go. A little Jeopardy music. Yeah, the <laughs> thing is, if you, put, if you put I Love Women into Google, well, you get some other things other than my than Paula Manny's links. But if you put I Love Women in, in inverted commas, and you put Paula Manny after it, you get mm -hmm. my poem. So here it is, Ray, here it is. And okay. Uh, okay. It, uh, this, the first three quarters of this was written um, before I went to uh, Cyprus in 1995. So it goes, this is how it goes. I Love Women is the name. I love women. I admire women. I'm jealous of women. I am enriched by women. I have been saved by women. I love the shape of women, the flaws of women. I am infuriated by women. I love cooking for women. I am irritated by women. I despair of women. I am tickled by women. I write for women. Women have made me a man. Bravo! That was your first poem in 1995. Yeah, that, that was the first poem I, uh, I wrote in 1995. Now, I, hadn't much, I had no clue about poetry because I did it at school like, you know, everybody else did. Yeah. And uh, I had, you know, that was the last time I did poetry. So 40 years later or something like that, I, a, a friend and I were sitting, uh, we, we were management consultants and we had just done some work together for an organization. So we were sitting outside a hotel, summer's evening, and he said to me, Paul, what are you going to do when you're on holidays? And I was going to North Cyprus, never been there before. And this was a serious question, and I'm not the kind of guy who sits around in the sun and, you know, gets a suntan. And I thought, what am I going to do in Cyprus? And I said, you know what, Barry, I've written all sorts of things in my life, this, but I think I'm going to write some poetry. So having said to him I was going to write some poetry, I got in the car and I drove, and I, I remember it well. I stopped the car on my way driving back to where I lived. And I stopped the car and I got a notebook and I wrote down, I love women. 
and I wrote the first half of the poem. And then I carried on and I didn't do anything else with it except I went to North Cyprus and I came back with about 12 or 14 poems. Now, I hadn't a clue about poetry, really. I wasn't even sure if anyone else would regard them as poems. I hadn't read any poetry for about 30 years. And I came back and I decided, I remember while deciding that I reckon I can only write poetry when I'm on holidays. And then I went to a place called Porlock Weir, which by myself one, and I sat down at the edge of the water. Porlock Weir is a place where some very famous poet was, um, was interrupted while he was high as a kite on some drug. And he, I think it was the guy who wrote Ozymandias. Um, anyway, some famous uh, 19th century poet whose name escapes me at the moment. But anyway, I wrote a poem there. And then I decided, Paul, the simplest thing is you say, I'm a poet. I write poetry. I'm a poet. And from that day on, which, as I say, was in the summer of 1995, I've been a poet. Now, I took to it with alacrity because I... Uh, wrote huge numbers of poems, huge numbers, more than Emily Dickinson. I'm a volume guy. I, I, I'm not a good person to give testament to my own quality, but I do produce a lot of poetry. And fewer poems these days than before, but I, I write a lot of poetry. Yeah. So well, I, I think it's really good. To make yourself a poet is you call yourself a poet and then you behave like, well, if you're a poet, you've got to write poems. I don't know if that would be the same in many other artistic fields, but I have heard people say that if you want to be, you know, call yourself a novelist, you, or if you want to write a novel, call yourself a novelist and then do it. I think it's similar in all art. I mean, for some reason, especially in the United States, people are, uh, because we're not really an arts-oriented culture, except for like Hollywood and, um, like, in, even actors, you know, when, they, when they're first starting off, they're, they're very serious about it and they're taking classes, but they're very hesitant to tell people that, they're, they're, that they might be an actor, even, even though they're doing the things that actors do. And... and um, as soon as you're able to do that, maybe it's similar with poetry. You, when you feel like I can say I am a poet and feel that comfortably, then you know that you're on the on the right track. But for some reason, it's hard to get to that point, even though you should be able to say it right from the first day. Why not? Well, yeah, what you should be able to do, of course, is, you know, anyone's business, isn't it, really? I mean, Yeah, whatever you want, really. <laughs> yeah. You say you're a poet, you, you are morally obliged to write poetry. Yeah, that's so true. I would agree with that. Yeah. Sit down. So if I say I'm an actor, I'm morally obliged to go to auditions. Yeah, you better <laughs> at least be going to auditions or taking a class or something. Yeah. That's just like, yeah. you know. I mean, if you, if you say you're an actor and you never go to any auditions, then you're a fraud. Yes? Yes. Well, of course. Right. But what I'm saying is, is like... Uh, there are people, and I even struggled this with this early, where uh, you know I, I was going to auditions, I was taking acting classes, you know, when I was in my twenties, but I had a hard time telling people I was an actor. Now I love telling people I was an act. I'm an actor. 
Well, I think it's very tough on actors because you see, as a poet, I can say I'm a poet and I write a poem, but I don't submit the, every every poem to a, a jury that rejects me. <laughs> you yeah. see, this poem sucks. <laughs> but but I know from personal experience because my son Benjamin Omani is an actor. Yes, he does goes along to auditions and I guess the same as every actor, he gets thrown out. You know, very well, they're usually nice about it when they throw you out. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But of course they threw out novels. Look at that woman who wrote Harry Potter. Right. Right. How, 27 rejections or was it 127? I don't know. I, I didn't even know that. So she had trouble getting those things published originally? Trouble. Ray, you should look it up. The story is okay. phenomenal. There are people in huge publishing houses who rejected her. And, of course, if they had accepted Whoops. her, bang. Yeah, she was rejected many, many, many times. Wow. And it's uh, – and many – Many other writers who have become terribly successful have been rejected many times. And, and I think the same. Look at the poor painters. The painter's oh. just painting and, you know, has it for sale, puts it in an exhibition. No one buys it. And Until then, they're dead. And eventually, eventually, they some of them decide they have so many canvases sitting around their studio. It's time to paint over their, over their masterpiece, over their masterpiece. And then, in <laughs> two hundred years' time, somebody does a restoration job, scrapes off all the more recent one, and finds the one that is now the world's greatest, most sought-after painting, but which the poor old artist went to their grave. With nobody being prepared to buy it. No one cared. Didn't, didn't they just find a new Da Vinci that way? I think they yeah. did last year, I remember. There was, a, there was a Da Vinci that had been painted over a couple times, and they looked at it with infrared or whatever, and they could see there was something underneath, and they uh, scraped it up as some Da Vinci masterpiece that had never been seen. But they know it was him because of the type of paint and, the, and but where it was purchased. I think... Let's the word artist, right, can mean anything and everything. But the key thing is that all artists must, if they're going to survive, they must get a sufficient buzz from the process of making the art. Yes. Because if the only buzz they get is the day that somebody buys it, well, they're going to have a really tough life or they're not going to produce much. But by and large, it's a bit like, you know, if you're not, if you don't get a buzz out of going forward as a singer or an actor or as a painter or as a poet out of doing the work, then you're kind of sunk, I think. I agree. I mean, if you go after fame or money and not, you don't go after it because of uh, the art of it or how it makes you feel or how you may be affecting others in a positive way. Uh you may find yourself lost. I think that a lot of celebrities end up feeling that way because they had the good looks and maybe some sort of 
talent that everyone wanted and they get there and they feel unfulfilled because they never really had the desire or never really knew what it was to affect an audience or feel like they've, uh, you know, um, exceeded reality by having this amazing communication on stage with another human being. You know, and they skip a step. There's, there's a lot of ev empirical evidence from people who've measured the amount of endorphins or pleasure hormones that, let's say, a tiger or a leopard has when chasing. Let's imagine a tiger chasing an antelope. Tremendous love of the chase. Fantastic uh, pleasure for the animal in chasing after the prey. And they continue to measure what happens to the level of happy hormones in the animal after they've killed the antelope. And they go really down. So the actual act of eating the prey isn't half as pleasurable as the act of chasing the prey. I love That's that. That's what my cat does with a mouse, you know. I've seen yeah. the cat. I used to think cats killed mice. In fact, the main thing a cat wants to do with a mouse, in the, my, the cats that I know, wants to play, wants to capture the mouse, put it down in the center of the kitchen, for sake of argument, and then chase it around the kitchen. And our cat, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this, but our cat <laughs> has killed mice by accident. Didn't Aww. actually want to kill the mouse, but his, his paw, the poor old mouse went, and I've, I've actually seen the cat pushing the mouse, trying to Wake get up, mouse. come back to life. Yes, I want to play. Yeah, I want to play. <laughs> so the yeah, you know what? I just saw a uh, I just watched a documentary about killer whales killing great white sharks, and they didn't know that this was happening until the late seventies, and they had only witnessed it once, and now they've seen it a number of times down in South Africa, but. The one time that it happened in the San Francisco Bay in 1979, I think they videotaped it. And the great white shark was uh, attacked by these two killer whales. And the killer whale carried the great white shark around the boat of the, uh, around the boat of the, the people watching the whale, sort of showing off like a cat does with the mouse. I saw this. It was... I mean, poor great white shark, but uh, it was kind of, I found it kind of hilarious how this whale is sort of doing what a cat does with mice, because the people were there. I mean, some of these animals have these, uh, their brains are sort of in sync with ours, like whales and dogs, and for some reason. Well, often, anyway, I don't know how that came up. But. Uh, the, the, uh, how do animals think? And... How do animals behave? Well, a whole lot of, it's much simpler to project onto the animal. Well, yeah. Oh, this is what that whale is thinking. This is what yeah. doing this. Or else, uh, you know, how do animals behave? And there's another projection onto how they behave. Yeah, anthropomorphizing. And, yeah. 
it's it's uh, but it's kind of inevitable, I suppose. That we do it all the time. We see things through our lens. I mean, what I see in a situation, nobody else has ever seen that situation the way I see it. They're, they're, it's totally, an, if you really delve down into it, totally unique. Yes, you know, any given I, situation. What right? I see, what goes into my imagination, what flows through my body is totally unique. That's why I yeah. often think when somebody goes into the doctor experiencing huge depression and the doctor says, well, take these tablets. The doctor's never met the person before. The doctor knows nothing about the person worth knowing other than what they've just been told and they can't really understand. They're just kind of guessing what they've been told. So they give them tablets, right? Now, we all know that all of these tablets have been checked and there is a list of 27 side effects. We all know that. 20, and you can read them and all. That's fantastic. Everybody's being warned. But absolutely nobody knows if this is the one person in the million who, as soon as they take it, something is going to happen, which has happened to nobody else. A new side of it. A unique yeah. human being taking something which is fine for a whole load of other people, being given this thing to take by a person who doesn't know who they are from Adam. Yeah, it's amazing the complexity of the human organism and how, how different reactions can be from person to person. And you know, Paul, I need to go. I have to go um, do. do my other job. Do. Because I do. don't make enough money doing this job. Yeah, do your. Ray, I tell you what, look, sell this episode. We'll, we'll become rich, Paul. Oh, yeah. I'll split it with you. I'll split uh, it with you. No, okay. no, 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 no. Look, look, I, I get enough money from my poetry. Oh, that's true. You, you have 95%, okay? Okay, well, you're a good guy. I appreciate um, that. Uh, yeah, and we'll, you know, yeah, that's good with okay. me. Thank you. Thank you so well, much. thank you. This has it's been wonderful. A joy. And... Uh, you can have me back anytime, and I want you on my podcast, too. We should make this a regular thing. Oh, definitely. Once a year or once a month or once a week? Or once, once a month. A okay. Okay. <laughs> Take care. Take care, man. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Oh, my lordy, that was special, wasn't it? I sure thought it was. Paul O'Mahony. Paul O'Mahony from Cork, Ireland. Let's hear it for him, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Well, that was fun. Hey, remember, thank you so much for listening to this whole thing. If you got here, you get a special prize. Guess, that, guess what that is? I will leave you a, a voicemail recording on your phone. And people will go, wow, you have a voicemail recording from the world-famous Raimundo Renati? You must, you must rank. Hey, I'm, I'm going skiing, folks. I don't know about you. Anyway, watch yourselves. Wash your hands. Social distance. Wear your masks. Get your vaccines. And until next time, folks, I will see you on the boards. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>